Well, good morning again. By the way, if you don't recognize me, I was the guy in the tank, the tall guy. Yeah, yeah. And I tell you what, it is a whole lot warmer standing here than it is in that tank. By the way, Scott, we got to talk. But anyway, what, isn't that a great baptism? Wasn't that fantastic? Oh, oh, oh. <clears throat> and the buzz, the buzz after baptism in there, I said to Pat and Kelly, I said, listen to, the, listen to them talking and interacting and just praise the Lord. Let's stand together. And uh, for those of you that are visiting today, welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, we are in a 30-week, 31-week series called The Story. And uh, today we're doing chapter 8, A Few Good Men and Women. Actually, it's A Few Good Men and One Woman if the truth were told. And it's out of the book of Judges. And we're looking at chapter 2, verses 7 to 19. And uh, I am going to read the blue, and you're going to read the uh, white. And this is what it says. Uh, no, there's what I want to do right there. Okay, thank you. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> Charles is giving me a hard time. We'll deal with them later. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance in Timnah at Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed, after, they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them, and they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal and the Ashtaroth. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn, just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. And then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. <clears throat> And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. Beautiful. Let's pray together. Father, again, we pause and just to thank you and praise you for your love that you have exhibited so generously and graciously in Jesus Christ. And for the Holy Spirit that 
takes what you have made available in Jesus and makes it possible and applicable and available in our lives. And so, Father, we ask this morning that this same Holy Spirit would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, but essentially, that as we go out from this place, this building, this property, this facility, And we go out into our homes and our marriages and our families and the places where we work and where we recreate and where we get our education and where we get our services. Father, that you would help us by the Holy Spirit to live out what it means to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we would do that in meaningful, physical, and tangible ways that Jesus Christ might be glorified and praised And in His name, we ask all of these mercies and for His glory. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Now, the book of Judges is called such because it gives us the account of the time of the people of Israel in the land of Israel in what is referred to as the time of the Judges. Israel was governed during this time, as I said a moment ago, by 11 men and one woman. Now, the time of the judges actually approximately covers about 111 years of their time in the promised land. Judges, the book itself, is the in-between book between Joshua and the priests, the prophets, and eventually the kings. Now, the The sort of telling refrain in the book of Judges are these words that we find in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. That in those days, the the kid Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Or another translation says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and Judges repeats that later on in the book. And if we're really being truthful and honest, even some of the Judges were a piece of work. They had some questionable um, issues and their lives were somewhat questionable. Of the 12, the four that really stand out to us are Deborah, of course, and then Jephthah, and then Gideon, and then Samson. These are stories that are really make up the main uh, lot of the book of Judges. And if you don't know those stories, you should read them because they are fantastic. But here's the setting for us. Israel's family, Israel's family nation are finally home. They're in Canaan, the the land that God had promised to Abraham between 600 and 700 years before. They are finally home, and this is God's upper story. And in the upper story, the bigger story, the surrounding nations are watching Israel with eyes wide open of how God deals with them graciously and justly as his or as Israel's family, as Israel's family nation. And the nation are watching and they see how God disciplines them according to his law and how God intervenes when they call out to him and how that he helps them and he takes them back over and over again. And this reveals the character of God and and sends out a loud message. 
And the message to the nations around the nation of Israel is, who would not want to be in a relationship with a God who is so gracious and so generous and so forgiving? And then there is our lower story. The story of our lives. The story of their lives. Now, one of the first things that we notice in our text is that a developing pattern takes place. What happens when people forget? Well, we saw this with Israel's family nation when they were in Israel. Because Judges chapter 1 verse 8 tells us this, that there was a Pharaoh that actually came up, that grew up, that was raised up and did not know, did not remember, forgot the history of how Joseph had helped Egypt. He forgot who Joseph was. And we know what happens. There is enslavement and there is confrontation. There is deliverance. And of course, then comes the exodus. But ironically, in our text, we see the very same thing happening. But this time, it's happening with God's people. This time, it's happening with Israel's family. It's happening with this nation. And we read in verse 10 that, a, that um, after that a whole generation had gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who, did, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. What happens when people forget what happens when we forget? What happens when I forget and you forget? And we forget the Lord and we forget what he has done for us. There is the pattern of forgetting. But there's also this. We have probably heard this said many, many times that faith, Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. Sometimes we assume, as parents and grandparents, we take it for granted that our kids and our grandkids are automatically, that they are just naturally going to in, follow into the footsteps of our faith, that it's going to happen just automatically, and when it doesn't, we wonder why. But the reality is that our kids and our grandkids, the next generation, they most likely will not follow in our footsteps of faith unless we pass on our faith. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't want anybody to raise their hand here, but I'm sure that you've got uh, some situations in your family as we have in our family. You see, in order for us to pass on our faith to the next generation, we are going to have to become 
conscious. In other words, we are going to have to be deliberate about it and intentional about it. That we are going to have to actively communicate to our children and our grandchildren, the next generation, about faith. It will not just happen. This is one of the reasons why we are doing the story, 31 Weeks. First of all is that we want to make sure that we ourselves, that we know the story and we know it correctly. We understand the upper story and the lower story. But we also want to put the story in of God's redemption and of God's graciousness and God's faithfulness into the hands and the hearts and the heads of every child and every student and every young adult and every adult. We are encouraging parents and grandparents to sit down with their kids and their grandkids and to talk about faith and to read the story. That's why we provided the resources so that we could actually do them. To tell them the story, how we have been affected and how we are being affected today by the story of God's grace and God's mercy. And if we do not think that that's important, then honest to goodness, folks, have we been paying attention at all? To not sit down with our children and our grandchildren and to read and to teach them the story of God's faithfulness and of His redemption is a huge and costly mistake on our part. They will not learn it unless we consciously communicate it. But let's get back to our text. The second thing that we see in our text is the cycle of unforgiveness, or the cycle of disobedience, or even the cycle of sin, if you will. And the cycle goes something like this. Unfaithfulness leads to desperation, chaos, or punishment, followed by their repentance, followed by deliverance, followed by their unfaithfulness again, followed by, followed by, followed by, followed by. Israel's family nation are unfaithful. They become brutally oppressed. They become desperate and they begin to take desperate measures. They call out to God and of course God sends them a judge to rescue them. And by the time that judge dies, they forget and the cycle starts over and over again. And this is the reoccurring theme. This is the reoccurring cycle in the book of Judges. A cycle that will go on for 111 years. And these are the eight, six oppressors that they will undergo over that 111 years. But there's also this. That in the face of their unfaithfulness and in the face of our unfaithfulness comes God's repetitive and consistent faithfulness. His repetitive and consistent love, His long-suffering, and He sends them, throughout these 111 years, He sends them 12 leaders, 12 judges, 11 men, and one woman. 
Now, I want to pull out of that lineup one of those judges to make a point and make a couple of points. And that is the person by the name of Gideon. Now, Gideon's story is one of the best stories in the Bible. Gideon's story in in the book of Judges is about one of the biggest routes in biblical history. And it's told to us in Judges chapter 7, 8, and 9, and I'll let you read that. And our point this morning is not that victory. Our point is this. What Gideon was doing when God came down to recruit him to lead Israel. And this is what we read in Judges chapter 6, verses 6 and 11. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, that belonged to Joas the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it away from the Midianites. Threshing wheat in a wine press. This is one of the best lines in the Bible. And it's one of the best lines in the Bible for many reasons, but one of the reasons is it tells us that something is seriously wrong in Israel. That something has seriously gone wrong with Israel's family. Wheat is not threshed in a wine press. Wine is pressed in a wine press. Wheat is threshed on a threshing field or on a threshing floor. And what it tells us is that Gideon is at a place. And the reason why he is threshing wheat in a wine press is because he's trying to keep it from the Midianites. And that's another great line in the Bible. This is how desperate things are and can get. And what it tells us, it tells us about the futility of life without God. Physically, The land is ruined. The heart of the nation has been ravaged. The soul of the nation has been reduced to fear and trepidation. They have been reduced to threshing wheat in a wine press. And that gives us the picture of life without God. When we live our lives in the cycle of unfaithfulness and disobedience and sin, things eventually go out of whack. We are continually insecure. Looking over our shoulder, worried that the Midianites are going to get what we got. And that's the point. It's empty. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says it is a chasing after the wind. It is futility. The endless cycle of unfaithfulness is called striving after the wind. 
But compare that with this. Psalm 37, 4 to 6. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, and your vindication like the noonday sun. Now, the condition, of course, is this. That in order to get the desires of our heart is that we need to delight ourselves in the Lord. The cyclical pattern of disobedience, of unfaithfulness, of sin, is problematic, isn't it? So I ask us these questions. Are we chasing after the wrong things? Are our priorities mixed up? Has an addiction taken over our lives? Do we keep mistreating the people that we say we love the most and who love us the most? And is our relationship with God affected because of these? Is our relationship with other people affected because of this? Is our physical, emotional, and mental health affected because of this? And are our, re- and are our resources in chaos because of it? And at this stage, everybody in the room, everybody watching online, we've got a couple of choices. Now, our first choice is that we can learn from our text. And we can break the cycle of unfaithfulness and disobedience and sin by coming clean with God and with other people. Our second choice is that if not, then the alternative is pretty bleak we will just continue on going through cycle after cycle after cycle. And here's the deal. It's our choice. It's my choice. It's your choice. But why would we not? Why would we not come clean? Why would we not want to break the cycle? of unfaithfulness and disobedience and sin when the alternative is so bleak. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. And I don't know who or what is going on in our lives. I only know what's going on in my life. And you know what's going on in your life. But let me ask you again. Are we chasing after the wrong things? 
Are we, are our priorities jumbled up? Is there an addiction that's taken over our lives? Are we mistreating the people who love us most? And is it affecting our relationship with God? It certainly would be affecting our relationship with other people. And is it affecting our health? And what about our resources? Now let me tell you what the easy thing to do is today. Is to have all of you that would say yes to this, to raise your hand, have you come forward and confess it. But I tell you what the harder thing is to do. Someone said this, that someone said this, that character is the thing that we do when the circumstances in which the decision we made are passed and we still continue on with the choice we made. So all over the room and those watching online, our heads are just in a moment of privacy. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we in the cycle of unfaithfulness? For some of us, the cycle has been broken, has been broken for a long time, or has been broken recently. But what about us who are the people of God, who are Christ followers? And yet we're so much like the people in the promised land. We're so much like Israel's family. It's their story is our story. And so what I want to do this morning is this. I just want to pray for us. And I'm just going to pray, and I have been praying, that the Holy Spirit will pursue you and me. And pursue us to the point that faith will be stirred in our hearts and that our hearts will be opened and our eyes will be opened and our minds will be opened. And we will say, yes, God, I'm coming clean. I've been faking it for a long time or a short time. And I'm going to go to the people I love the most. And I'm going to come clean. And I'm going to start over. And as we said in the baptismal service, the beautiful thing about the gospel is this. Death is not the final word. Sin does not have the final word. Resurrection and forgiveness as the final word. So I'd like everybody, if you will, just to stand to your feet in a moment of privacy and personal reflection. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, and by the power of His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Father, You know every heart, and You know every thought, and You know every life, and You know every action. And Father, here at Glad Tidings Church in Sudbury, on this Sunday morning, Lord, You know those that have lost their way. They have known your blessing. They have known your grace. They have known your power. They have known your witness is faithful. 
but they become jumbled up. And today, you're calling us to come clean, to make it right. And I pray, Father, that you will give us by the Holy Spirit enough character that if this morning we say, I'm going to come clean with God right now in this place where I'm standing, I'm going to come clean with God. That when I get home today or this week, I'm going to follow through on that commitment. And I'm going to come clean with my loved ones. And I'm going to apologize. And I'm going to say I'm sorry. And I'm going to ask for their forgiveness. And I'm going to ask if we can start over again. Or we can start fresh as we move forward. Holy Spirit, attend unto our hearts. Attend unto our minds, our thoughts. Attend, Lord, to our lives. That Father, your grace might become so evident in this church, in this body, in this family. But Lord, that the people around will say, who would not want to be in a relationship with the God that they worship and serve? Father, we want to be that people.